invite everyone to stand and worship with us.
Let's just lift him up this morning. Let's celebrate the resurrection and all the things he's done for us today, every day.
Sing it again. Oh, to be like you, I give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever open my heart. Open my heart.
to him who is our peace this final breath upon the cross is now
First Peter, we're going to start a new kind of just uh, walking through that letter, and the theme of that is living as an outsider in a strange land. How many would say we're living in a strange land today? The things that are going on around us, just kind of crazy, isn't it? I um, mean, we could focus for probably the next day and a half just talking about all that mess, but I really want to draw our attention this morning to Afghanistan. And, and the reason is because right now they're in great need of our prayer. Um, now, I know that how I'm wired, and maybe you're wired the same way, but Afghanistan, if you get on a plane, is over 7,000 miles away from us. And the way I usually approach that, because we hear the news and we hear everybody talking about Taliban, ISIS, extremists, and all this stuff, and I tend to just think, God, just let them deal it out and sort it out amongst themselves. It's way over there. It doesn't affect us. And so just let them take care of themselves. Bring our guys home. That's the patriot in me, right? But I also realize that in that country are many Christians who have placed their faith in the same gospel that you and I have placed our faith in. Their skin's a different color, they speak a different language, their culture is different, but make no mistake about it, they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I was kind of convicted about my lack of compassion and my lack of urgency to pray for them. And so I did this little exercise that helped me. And maybe you, you can do it as well. And so what I did, and maybe what you should do, is take somebody that you know personally. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's somebody that you worship with regularly, somebody that you care about, and in your mind, place them over there in Afghanistan right now. It changes things, doesn't it? I remember thinking, man, if that was my family over there, if it was my wife or one of my kids or a grandkid over there, and they were in that situation they're in right now, it would put a huge burden on my heart to get on my face before God and cry out on behalf of the people of Afghanistan. Are you hearing my heart this morning? And so we need to be praying for them. I read an article yesterday from the Christian Post. You know, I've discovered that there's more news outlets than conservative um, and, and, you know, non-conservative news outlets. There's actually Christian websites that have news on them as well. <laughs> Who would have thought, right? ChristianPost.com had an article, and it says the Taliban are going door-to-door searching for Christians, inspecting their phones for Bible apps. Someone said earlier, I got my Bible app on my phone. In Afghanistan right now, Taliban is going door-to-door looking for Christians inspecting phones for Bible apps. I won't read the whole article, but I will give you a little bit of of the excerpts from it. It says the Taliban has a a hit list of known Christians they they are targeting to pursue and kill. The U.S. embassy is defunct, and there is no longer a safe place for believers to take refuge. All borders to neighboring countries are closed, and all the flights to and from have been halted, with the exception of private planes. People are fleeing into the mountains looking for asylum. They are fully reliant on God, who is the only one who can and will protect them. We're hearing from reliable sources that the Taliban demand people's phones, and if they find a downloaded Bible app on the device, they will kill them immediately, the the writer says. It's incredibly dangerous right now for Afghans to have anything Christian on their phones. The Taliban have spies and informants everywhere. I won't go into detail on this next one, but it says that the Taliban, what they were doing is when they discovered families that are Christians, you know, infidels from their perspective, um, they were taking the women and the young girls from that family away from those families and giving them as prizes to the Taliban fighters. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to pray for Afghanistan. Amen? Can we just do that for a second? Can we spend a moment focused on prayer uh, for the brothers and sisters in Afghanistan? Let's do that. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, just sometimes we are so disconnected from 
the realities that other people are going through right now. And my heart is just burdened uh, in this moment for the brothers and the sisters that have placed their faith in you. Lord, and not just them, but other good people that have they've relied on us and maybe they've been our allies. And Lord, they are literally under the gun right now. And so, Father, I ask by your mighty power that you would protect them. I ask, Father, that you would give them wisdom as they make decisions for their families. I pray that you would give them peace, those moms and those dads, those children. Give them peace, Father. I pray also that you would allow the schemes of the enemy to be thrown right back into their face, that nothing would be successful as they have been given all of these powerful tools and weapons to use. God, I pray that you would just show up and show off like you did in the Old Testament whenever your armies um, were, were being surrounded by the enemy armies and the angels um, in heaven showed up and you just did a miraculous protection of your people. God, I pray that you would do some things like that again so that we can talk about it again and we can praise you for your awesomeness. But Father, I pray that you would use this in their lives also as we know that when we go through trials, it is a, uh, it's an opportunity to grow us in our faith and to test our faith. And I pray specifically for the brothers and sisters right now that they would stay strong in their faith in this moment. Lord, in this trial, there are other people watching, they're witnessing, and I pray that their testimony would be so loud of their faith in you, and Father, that you would uh, receive glory from it. So God, would you please just show, show your power, show yourself favorable to those people um, today. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So I said this was relevant today because the subject is on suffering or persecution, and Peter receives news from the churches that are already scattered, this is like a generation removed from the life of Christ. And Jesus has already ascended into heaven. This is 60 to 65 AD, second generation Christians who didn't see Jesus, but they believed in the gospel and they're saved. And, and they're not close to the mother church in Jerusalem. They're scattered abroad. And so he catches word or he hears that they're being, um, uh, there's oppression and opposition to them because of their Christian faith. And so he sits down and he writes this letter to encourage them first off, but also to challenge them to live lives of purity and godliness, yes, even in the midst of persecution. So he writes this letter to challenge them in their faith, to encourage them, um, but uh, also to challenge them to, like I said, lead lives of purity and godliness, even in the middle of the persecution. I want to ask you a question. What is your response to suffering? Because let me just say this. I don't think that we in America have experienced that kind of persecution yet. Now, I don't say that to scare you or like, man, this is a, that's a kind of a bummer of a sermon. I don't know if I want to go to that church. But listen, we read the word of God in this church and we preach from God's word in this church. And sometimes we hear things that are a little challenging and tough for us and we need to hear them. Amen. And Jesus himself said in this world, you will have trouble. The word trials, you will have persecution. But he says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So as Christians, we need to be mindful of that, that we will encounter suffering. And I'm not talking about Facebook jail. There, there are some people that have literally gone to jail for their faith. Their faith has been tested. I'm not minimizing the persecution that they've experienced here in the United States, but compare that to what's going on 7,000 miles away right now. I'm just telling you, it's just heartbreaking. And to think that we could never experience it on our soil, I think would be foolish of us. And so the question is, how do you respond in times of suffering? Do you respond with fear, anxiety? Or do you respond with bitterness? Or do you respond with contentment, that is, an absolute just peace and confidence in God? 
What blew me away is another article, I couldn't find it again, but they were talking about how they heard Taliban was going door to door to arrest Christians. This was earlier on, and they said, but we plan on meeting for worship. What? In the United States of America, we'll go to church unless I got something else to do or if I feel a little tickle in my throat. And I just don't think that we understand the level of their love and their commitment to Christ, especially in the middle of this persecution. I don't say that to rebuke us, but I do say it to say, man, how powerful that is, their testimony for Christ right now. Right? So, so Peter writes this letter to encourage them, and you'll see a flow throughout 1 Peter, and it's like in three different categories. He focuses on the salvation uh, that they have received from God first, and then he looks at submission, like our love and our submission to one another, and lastly, he covers suffering in the last couple of chapters of this letter. And so today, uh, the message is our living hope. We heard that song at the beginning. We heard a few song, references to that in the songs that we sang today, Our Living Hope. And it's chapter 1, and Peter wants them to know, because it's the foundation of our faith, right? And he wants them to know that, listen, you're going to experience some things, but I want you to know, first off, this amazing and great salvation that God has made available to you and to me. And let that be a source of an encouragement to you today. And so he begins. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, he's not giving them all the intricacies of doctrine, of election or choosing, but I think what he's doing is encouraging them. Hey, listen, I know you're far away from the the mother church, and I know you're scattered all out. I just want you to know that God chose you too. I want you to know that you belong and he cares about you as well. And so he's encouraging them. He says, as a result, you have obeyed him, that is to believe in the gospel, and you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. And then verse 3, Peter takes this this look at the uh, amazing grace of, of God. He praises God for the richness of his salvation and does it by looking in three different areas. He looks to the future, he looks to the present, and then he looks to the past. And that'll be the focus of the verses that we will cover today. So in verse 3, he says, all praise to God. It's like he's calling them to praise, right? Hey, I'm I'm listening to the reports and I'm hearing things are getting kind of crazy, and I just want to take a moment to say, let's praise God together. All praise to God. Why? He says, all praise to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy... It is not because of our works. It is not because we were born into the right country or family, but it is by the mercy of God. You know what mercy is, right? It is not giving us what we deserve. If we got what we deserved, we would deserve death because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so he says it's because of his mercy that we have been born again. Salvation. We've been saved because of his mercy. He says because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation. Another one says it this way. It is by his great mercy that he has caused us to to be born again to a living hope. Say living hope. The emphasis on the word living there. It's not this hope that this old stagnant, stale, centuries old, but it's a living hope for you and for me today. And he wants to remind them that it's a living hope for them as well. He says this great expectation or this living hope, which is their salvation. And he says in verse 4, and we have this priceless inheritance. Now, before you start thinking of money, jewels, gold, and all that stuff, consider salvation as the inheritance, right? 
He says we have this precious inheritance, this precious salvation that he's made available to us. And so it is a priceless inheritance, an inheritance, I love this part, that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. This salvation, this priceless inheritance that is set up in heaven, kept for you and me, another version, I think the ESV says, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. And in case you're wondering what that means, it means it's untouched by death, amen? That the salvation that is setting and kept in heaven for you and for me today and for the readers of this letter is kept in heaven from us and it is untouched by death. Death can't change it, amen? It's undefiled, that means it's unstained by evil. All the forces of evil can't touch it. It is kept in heaven, undefiled. And it's unfading, It is unimpaired by time. There is no expiration date on this priceless inheritance that's kept in heaven for us. There is no time. There's no dust collecting on it. Amen. It is an unfading, unimpaired by time, priceless inheritance. And he wants them to see that. Listen, this salvation. Have you ever considered just how amazing the salvation that God offers to us who didn't deserve it is? Man. He wants them to first focus on this living hope. This salvation is our living hope, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you, or it's shielded. This is a military term of a soldier guarding a prisoner. He says, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. So it's still future, right? We've not received it fully. We believe right now by faith, and we believe that we are saved. But one day, hallelujah, we will be saved. It will be a realization. We'll be complete in that salvation. And in the meantime, he says that we have this living hope that we carry with us, this hope of salvation, this hope of an unshakable, priceless inheritance kept in heaven for us, that is being protected until the day that we finally receive it, which he says, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. I I don't know about you, but I was praying yesterday. My wife and I were praying, and and my prayer was, Lord, come quickly. When I was younger, I was like, you know, hold up. I got some things I want to do. You know, I was going to go swimming that summer. Lord, I would like it if you'd hold off for a little bit or you know, we do these, these things, but the more I see going on in the world, the more I love people and care for my family, I'm like, God, just Come quickly. I'm okay with that. Are you? Woo! I'm ready for that salvation to be revealed to all of us who are eagerly waiting, that eager expectation of that living hope. Lord, we want to see this salvation. We want to experience this salvation that you have kept for us through our faith and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful, priceless inheritance. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? And so... He looks to the future, this priceless inheritance that one day will be a realization. And so then he takes a look from the future to the present, and he just kind of brings it back to the here and the now. And he begins with this one word in the Greek, agaliao, because I think it's more powerful than what is translated in my New Living Translation. It says, so be truly glad. So he's talking about this priceless inheritance, this salvation, this living hope, and he says, so be truly glad. Okay. That's something to be worthy and to be glad about, isn't it? But Agaliel says to be extremely joyful. We could use a little bit of that in our lives today. We could use a little bit of that in our church today. Hint, hint. Look at your faces, man. Listen to this. It's like we're saved. 
If you've placed your faith in Christ Jesus, the gospel, man, it's a powerful, beautiful gospel. It's priceless inheritance, and it is all the reason to be extremely joyful. Not because of the circumstances. See, I asked you earlier, how do you respond to trials and to persecution or to suffering? See, a lot of us will say it depends on what's going on in my life. We'll say, if things are great, man, it's easy for me to be joyful. But if things are not, then, you know, I might respond differently to that. And he says there, he begins this next section by saying, so be truly glad. Be extremely joyful because of this living hope. This living hope should produce within the believer joy, right? So he says, okay, there is wonderful joy ahead of you even though, say even though, because there's going to be times where we have the even those. There's joy that's ahead of us. I want you to be truly glad, exceedingly joyful, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. I said a little ago, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when for each one of us if we'll experience some hardships in life. Amen? He said, you may have to endure some trials for a little while. And let me just tell you, I've known people that felt like they've been in a trial like Job for years. But can I just tell you, compared to eternity, it's going to feel like a little bitty, just a bad day compared to what lies ahead of us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither can enter the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. You must endure trials for a little while. But he says these trials, they have an effect, they have a, a purpose. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. They're going to prove the genuineness of your faith. It's easy to say, I have faith if it's not tested. And I think it's Warren Wiersbe that says, someone who is not tested cannot be trusted. And so we say that we have faith in Christ and we experience trials and persecution. When it is tested, it proves the genuineness of our confession of our faith, right? He says, this faith is being tested to show that it is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Now, when you want to purify gold, you got to get the fire super hot. In fact, it takes over 1,000 degrees in heat before gold will even begin to melt. And as that gold begins to melt, the dross or the, the trash in that gold, if you will, floats to the top. And it's a process of purification. And the process there is the refiner is going to take and he's going to scrape off all the impurities and the, the, the junk that floats to the surface. And the goal is, the, the more pure the gold is, the more his reflection is seen easily in that melted gold. And that's the, that's the purpose, right, for purifying gold? So you've got to get the, the heat hot to get the junk out. And the goal is to make it as pure as possible. The same thing happens in the trials that we face it's a refining process, and guess whose image we want to see in our lives? Jesus. Amen. And so we'll go through some difficult things in life, but we need to realize that it's like the refining process and God's allowing some of the junk to float to the surface so he can get rid of it and so we can look more and more and more like Jesus. He says, though your faith is far more precious than gold. Do you see that? Gold is precious, and he says, oh, your faith is so much more precious than that. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. This salvation, this living hope produces in us a joy no matter what goes on in us. I think about my Afghanistan brothers and sisters facing imminent death, the threat of it every day. One lady says every car that goes by, we just don't know if that's the one that's going to stop and open the door and take us away. 
with every, you know, every day. That threat is very real to them. He says that salvation produces a, a, a peace in us regardless of those circumstances. Just to be there and say, God, I know, I know whom I have believed in. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. And you may take my body, but you can't take my salvation. It's kept in heaven for me, pure and undefiled until the day I receive it. Hallelujah. That is a precious, priceless inheritance, our living hope. No matter what. And so for Christians, and it may sound weird in our, our culture today, but we truly can be glad. Because we're like, you can't touch me. You may take my body. Please, it's getting old. It hurts all the time. Send me to Jesus. I'm okay with it now. But you can't take this inheritance that God has for those by his mercy because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from our obedience to the gospel, trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, it's a special thing. And it gives to us this peace. He says in verse 8, you love him even though you have never seen him. He's talking to them. He's saying the same thing to us today. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. Do you trust him this morning? And you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy. The, the King James, I think, says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. You remember that song? Mm. He says, you, you have this glorious, inexpressible joy regardless of the circumstances. And so that's what Peter's saying. He's talking about this grace of God and salvation that it should produce in them an attitude of submission to one another, of love for one another in the context of suffering regardless of what's going on. There's this peace in us that passes all understanding that comes from this living hope that we have. Hmm. So he spends a moment looking at the future and he looks at the presence and then, or the present, excuse me, and then he looks backwards in the past. And I, and I like this part here because I, I tend to kind of brush over it quickly, but do you realize how privileged we are today to know what we know? We're on this side of the cross We've read the stories and we've heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God demonstrated his love toward us in this way that while we were sinners he sent Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world, right? And so we know that he was buried and he was raised again on the third day. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God right now making intercession for the believers. But the people of the past, the prophets, they didn't have that privilege. Listen to what he says. Peter says, this salvation, this priceless inheritance, this living hope that you and I share today, he said it's something that even the prophets wanted to know more about, you think? God was moving through them and they were prophesying of what was to come and they wanted to know more about it. Tell us more. Oh, I wish I was living in, in, in you know, the, the, the year, I mean, 30 AD so I could witness it myself. These guys had prophesied years ahead of time and they wanted to know more about this salvation. When they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you, they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward, his resurrection. Verse 12, it says, they were told that their message was not for themselves, but for you. Peter's talking to this second generation church, and he's still talking to us now. It's for you. This great news of God's salvation for mankind is for you. And he says, and now this good news has been announced to you by those who have preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Do you realize how privileged we are today to live in the time that we live, to know the whole revelation of God's love for mankind? To experience, I, I don't think we truly understand it sometimes. You know, you take things for granted. Oh, when you consider this living hope that you and I have living in us today, that no matter what we encounter, no matter what we might walk through, our, our joy comes not from the circumstances around us, but it comes from that living hope, like an anchor. I love this quote that Warren Wiersbe said, hope is not a, a sedative. He said, hope is not a sedative, it's a shot of adrenaline, a blood transfusion. Like an anchor, our hope in Christ stabilizes us in the storms of life. But unlike an anchor, our hope moves us forward. It does not hold us back. Aren't you thankful for the living hope that we have in our salvation, that priceless inheritance that is available to us who believe? It's truly good news. And so Peter is encouraging them, hey, he loves you too. He chose you too in the gospel. And the beautiful thing that we know is whosoever Whosoever means whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? They'll experience this same living hope. Isn't that good news? No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, God says, let me, let me show you something. I'll demonstrate my love for you this way. I didn't wait for you to clean your mess up. I sent Jesus to die for you while you were still in the middle of your sin. That's good news. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I appeal to every person in the room that the most important thing you can do in this life is to place your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that everyone has. If not, can I just tell you it's as simple as ABC. Admit that you're a sinner. Sometimes that's hard for us to do. We realize the Bible makes it clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous. No, not one. But admit that we're sinners. God, I, I confess. I'm, I admit it. I'm a sinner. I say it like this, God, I'm a dirtbag. B, believe. Believe in the gospel. Believe that God sent his only begotten son to this earth to live a perfect life and that his death on the cross was a payment for your sins and my sins. Right? Past, future, present. To believe in the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And C, I would say commit to him. Confess him as Lord. Lord, I trust you and you alone to get me where I need to get at the end of this life. I trust in you and you alone for salvation. This world can't offer what I need. I trust in you and you alone. I commit to you as Lord and Savior. Amen? So I pray that if you've not done that, that would be the step that you take. Is I can't make it happen, and I'm not going to try to manipulate that, but here's what God does. He knocks on your heart's door. And I remember those days when I was a little kid and God was moving on me and I was putting claw marks on the pews that was in front of me and I was sitting there, I ain't moving, I ain't going. I just know how he works. And the Bible says that no man can come to the Father unless he's drawn by the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit's drawing you, I pray that you would respond to him, to his wonderful gift of eternal life, this living hope for you today. For Christians, I want to remind you of the refining process. A refiner grabs the gold and he heats it up to extremely hot degrees, over 1,000 degrees. And as I said, we'll go, the, the dross and the junk floats to the top. The purpose is to make the gold better, not worse. Amen? I mean, you don't go through all that work just going to get a worse, you know, clunk of gold. You're, you're doing it because you want to improve the gold. The same thing is true of trials in your life and in my life. 
The purpose in trials is the same as the refining process, and the trials are going to do the same. They're to make us better, not bitter. Amen? And so no matter what comes our way, and listen, I would love to say that it will never happen on our soul, but I can't make that promise. Are we more loved and protected and shielded than our brothers and sisters 7,000 miles away? God is no respecter of persons. And it could happen tomorrow. You see the things going on in our country? It could very well much happen tomorrow. A matter of weeks and even months. And the question is, if it does, when it does, we'll be grounded in this faith. Like a bedrock, like an anchor that's attached to that that bedrock of truth. That Jesus is our salvation. He is our living hope. And he's the one that sustains us no matter what. And from that position, I can live with confidence in this life, not in myself, but in him and his finished work, and I can live with absolute peace that passes all understanding, even in the midst of trials, for his glory. One day we get to heaven, we're not going to be high-fiving each other like, man, I did it. You see what I did back there? It'll be like, all praise, all honor, and all glory belong to him and him alone for his indescribable gift of salvation. Father, we thank you for the living hope that we have in the gospel. Father, I thank you that we can anchor to that in times of storms. I thank you that we can hold fast to that truth of a living hope, not a a dead hope, not a hope that is uh, defiled or that's decayed or uh, it is expired, it's unimpaired, it's undefiled and it's imperishable. God, I thank you so much for that living hope. I pray that we would see it as that. that it, is, it is still future. We hope in it today, and we know that one day when we cross a finish line, we'll be at home with you. If we've placed our faith in you, we know what awaits us, this priceless inheritance. I pray that everyone in the room has placed their faith in you so that they could, they could understand just how amazing your mercy and your grace is for us, that we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But because of your mercy, you saved us. You included us. And Father, I pray that that would motivate us. God, I pray that it would put a spring in our step, no matter what we encounter. Lord, we consider persecution just having a bad day at work, a flat tire on the way to work, getting thrown into a Facebook jail, getting ridiculed by friends. Lord, that's not, that's not persecution. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's not. Lord, when I see the things that we go through and how quickly we become bitter, how quickly we lose our peace and we're filled with anxiety, I just, I just ask that you would fill us with this, this joy, this agaliao, this extremely uh, joyful attitude because of what you've done for each one of us. And Lord, we just say all praise to you. As Peter started out, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you and you alone are worthy. Father, encourage us in our hearts. Grow us in our faith. Challenge us to be the people you've called us to be. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.